This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Think of your least favorite subject in school. You know, the one you struggled to pass or perhaps even failed. Well, most of us who've been there assume that the subjects that don't come easily to us, well, never will. But what if you could train your brain to learn the hard stuff? In this part of today's show, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to break down the science of how our brains process and recall information, and we're going to talk about how to make the most of studying. As it turns out, we all have the tools that we need to master subjects that don't come naturally. The secret is understanding how the brain works so that we can unlock its power. In this part of today's show, we're going to be talking about why sometimes letting your mind wander is an important part of the learning process, how to avoid rut think in order to think outside the box, why having a poor memory can actually be a good thing, and some simple, powerful ways to stop procrastinating. Our guest is one of the co-instructors of a couple of wildly popular courses on Coursera called A Mind for Numbers and another one called MindShift. Our goal, just like the goal for those courses, is to make learning easy and fun. And we'll start talking about learning how to learn when Positive Parenting continues right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this. From the MrDad.com radio network. I'm in almost every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You see me around the neighborhood and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America, and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we can grow up to be whatever we want. I want to grow up to be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everybody. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we are Feeding America, brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brought, and my guest for this part of today's show is Barbara Oakley, who's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying a guide for kids and teens, but it's also, for our purposes, a guide for adults as well. Uh, Barbara, thanks for joining us. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Arden. So let's talk about what it is that we don't know about how to learn, because I think as as, uh, you talk about in the book and I mentioned in our introduction, that a lot of people who have difficulties with some sort of a subject just assume that, well, they are good at that anyway, and it's just never going to change. And so, but you talk about the idea that that's just not right. Oh, it isn't. And I can attest to that from personal experience. I I was terrible at math when I grew up. I flunked my way through elementary, middle, and high school math. 
And at age 26, I decided to try to see if I could change my brain and learn math and science. So I started with remedial remedial high school algebra, and now I'm a professor of engineering. So it's really, really possible. All right. So what did you learn, though? I mean, aside from the mysteries of the quadratic equation. Well, I learned a lot about learning because originally I had I had thought um, that I could only learn language, maybe, because I had learned English at least, and I wanted to learn another language. So I enlisted early on in the in the army and um, went to the Defense Language Institute and learned a language there. I studied Russian, and what I what I ultimately found was the techniques I used to learn a language actually were very applicable for learning in math and science. There's, there's, it's a lot like um, sort of learning to play the piano. There's, mm-hmm. You practice with the scales, and similarly, you practice with the equations you're learning. And practice is really, I think, a key to learning in, in math and science. It's actually key to becoming an expert in any subject you might name. And, and I think that's sort of under-recognized sometimes when, uh, when we're learning in various subjects. You know, I have to tell you that, that we share quite a bit in common just from that last little bit there. I was in the Marine Corps and also went to the Defense Language Institute and studied Russian. And <laughs> when, uh, when I got there, the first couple of weeks I was in the, the long course, the first couple of weeks, I was doing okay. I was getting 85s, and you know, it was it was probably a B average or something like that. And I was studying a huge amount, spending all sorts of time studying and going and drilling and everything. And I just realized I wasn't going to be able to keep that up. And I cut back on the studying, and never got anything lower than a 95 for the rest of the course. And <laughs> I I wondered. Because I, I was never able to fully articulate what it is that I stopped doing or that I started doing instead of doing something I shouldn't have been. But I, I, to, I just wanted to, I guess, throw that in there as, yes, it's important to practice, but there is a point of, of decreasing marginal returns where practicing too much may actually hurt you. You, you are so correct. And part of what we know now is that if you... Focus really hard, but then take breaks. That allows your brain to consolidate and make sense and help you to better access those ideas later on. So my guess is that you were focusing really hard when you were studying, but then when you took a break, you really took your mind completely off it, which is actually the best way for the diffuse circuits to be able to be, work in the background while you think you're not learning, your brain is actually doing a lot of learning. So how do you begin to get messages across to kids about different ways of approaching subjects that, that they don't take too naturally? Because the ones, I guess, that we take too naturally and do well in, we don't have to worry about those. Well... I think the the best way for kids to approach it, I mean, really one of kids' biggest challenges and adults' biggest challenges in learning is procrastinating. 
And if you just are able to get yourself going with a little bit every day, you will learn so much more than if you cram a whole bunch at the very end. And the reason for this is because each day, let's say you do a half an hour on a subject each day, your little, your little neural connections, the dendritic spines on, on your neurons will start poking out. And then as you sleep that night, they will grow together and then look again the next day. And each night, as you, as you focus just a little bit during the day, each night, those neural connections of learning are actually uh, forming, taking place. If you take one last peek before you go to sleep, it, it prompts your mind to know what to practice while you're, while you're sleeping, hmm. and it helps strengthen those ideas. So you don't quite have to study as much, and you don't have to be as anxious about what you're studying. So, so I guess it's really important that we distinguish between a couple of ideas, one of which is learning, and the other one is accomplishing a task. And, and I'm mentioning that because we interviewed somebody a year or so ago who was talking about procrastination, and there are certain people who do better. And I actually, I actually think after talking with her that, that I'm one of those people. I tend to put stuff off until the last minute, which gives me a lot of motivation to get it done, and then I get it done. But that's a, you know writing a book or writing an article or doing something like that, which is not necessarily learning something. So do you distinguish between those two things as well? I think that's a very perceptive point. It, when you already know a topic, sometimes it's nice to procrastinate just because you're maybe you're still knitting together and gathering information, and then you can disgorge it all at once because you're prompted by that, a bit of stress. But if you're learning something, it's a very different process. You're, you're, that's when you're building the structures, and you do need to kind of keep up on it. You don't want to be procrastinating in what you're learning because if you try to do the learning at the last minute, there's only so many synaptic connections you can right. grow during a day and an evening, and you'll, you'll make things difficult for yourself. So that really speaks to the idea of doing what you're talking about, doing ongoing learning instead of trying to cram for an exam. Because that's it, you're it, trying to learn yep. everything in the last week or the last day or whatever. Right. And it's, I mean, that is so stressful that few people can actually learn under those conditions. And more than that, what you do learn isn't solidly put into place. You don't have good, solid practice neural connections that are rich and thick. Now, what about studying with other people? A lot of people do well in study groups, and they talk about how it div helps divide things up so that other people can, you don't have to learn everything at the same time. Does that actually help? I think the answer is it depends. Um, sometimes it can be very helpful to study with others because what that can really do is tell you where your own approaches are wrong. You can uh, sort of, if you get one answer and somebody else gets another answer, you can go over it together, and that can be really helpful. Uh, at the same time, so if you are approaching study groups as, well, I'm just going to copy the answer from Fred, then it is certainly not going to be very helpful for you. 
So uh, sort of a balanced approach to learning where some group work and then some independent and individual work, I think, is is really a very the best approach. Do you think that some of the group learning has to do with the fact that you're teaching it also? And the the idea or the process of trying to explain something to somebody else helps to solidify the ideas in your own head? It, it absolutely does. And again, it depends on the kind of study group that you are uh, hanging out with. If it's a study group where kind of chatting is the big thing you do, <laughs> uh, it's not going to be very helpful. But if it's a study group where you're a little bit balanced, and maybe even there's there's a person there who doesn't catch on quite as fast, but who you're coaching along, the whole group can benefit, especially if that one being coached is also really very highly motivated. Talking with Barbara Oakley, who's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will keep talking to Barbara. It may be hard to believe, but people just like you are already saving money. FeedThePig.org makes it easy. Their simple savings plan teaches you how to start saving without going overboard. So you don't need to mooch off your friends. You going to finish that grape? You mean the one in my mouth? You don't need to stop buying the necessities. What you're smelling is a natural musk. Ew. You don't need to be a medical test subject. How do you feel? Mostly okay. I... (laughs) Sometimes, though. (laughs) You don't need to get a second job as a stuntman. We need a new stuntman. Let's break for lunch. You just need an internet connection. Don't get left behind. Start your personal savings plan with the tips and tools on feedthepig.org. That way, you don't need to sell your soul to the devil. Fifteen bucks is the best I can do. All right, deal. Brought to you by the American Institute of CPAs and the Ad Council. All right, class, let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a 100 years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig fort for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. If you're just joining us, talking with Barbara Oakley, who's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying. I want to talk to you a little bit about Building a memory, slick tricks you talk about in the book. And there you talk about a guy named Nelson Dellis uh, who was had a normal kid, a normal memory and then was able to memorize two decks of cards, 104 cards in, in perfect order. And I actually read a book by a guy named, uh, I can't remember his first name now, Four, F-O-E-R is his last name, who did something oh, similar. Josh who, Four. Right, Josh, yeah. who uh, won some sort of memory comp- competition like that. And I've marveled at that in a way. Uh, so what are some of the things that your average bear or kid can do to 
build a memory a little bit better, to to be able to come recall information that seems to be scattered all over your head. One of the best tricks involves making whatever you want to memor- remember into a picture. Your long-term memory, there, there's sort of two ways to store information in your long-term memory. Uh, one relates to remembering facts like, you know, 1492 or whatever, a number or a year that you want to remember, some fact, or if you want to remember an actual picture. And it turns out that pictures store a lot easier in your memory than facts do. So if you can convert uh, whatever you're trying to remember into some sort of picture, that can help lodge that idea much better into your memory. And if it's a moving picture, it can be even better. So if you're trying to remember numbers, maybe creating a little system for yourself, of what those numbers look like. So seven might be a, a dog sitting up with his, his, his little arms coming out, and it's begging. So you're remembering that there's a dog, and then two might be a swan with a swan's neck. So 72 is, well, you know, you've got a, a, a dog, and then it's being attacked by this swan. And suddenly those kinds of things, you can remember them more easily. Even let's say that you're trying to remember the biggest city in Africa. It's Lagos. So why not sort of think of a gigantic pile of Legos that is sitting right there in, you know, where Lagos is in Africa. And that, that kind of helps you mm-hmm. to lodge that into memory a lot better. And those are the kinds of slick tricks that Nelson yeah. Dulles is successfully using. I'm sure that you read uh, Luria's book, The Mind of the Mnemonist. Yes. There, yes. there was, and I'm glad I don't have that kind of memory as the, as the mnemonist did. Yeah, because I was I was was thinking of uh, he used this trick where he would he would memorize hundreds and hundreds of objects by scattering them in the town that he grew up again in. He he would take a walk through the town and he would put the objects in front of various places and. At one point, it, the author named Luria uh, describes that the guy who had this incredible memory was when he was reciting back this list of a hundred objects that he had he had memorized, forgot one, and he forgot an egg, and so that Luria says, "Well, what happened? Why did you forget that?" And he says, "Oh, you know, I when I was walking back through the village, gathering up all the objects, uh, the egg was up against a white fence, and I didn't see it." <laughs> Isn't that awesome? <laughs> you think, wow. I, I mean, just the, the idea that somebody could memorize that much anyway, but then th- that somebody could have a system like that is uh, the memory pretty remarkable. The is, is really a good one. It, it's good for remembering things like lists and um, sequences of, of items like numbers and so forth. Um, so that's fantastic, and it simply involves placing whatever you want to remember or a visual reminder of that thing you want to remember in a place that you're very familiar with, like your house or the the uh, walk you might have or the drive you might have to school. 
Um, so it is a really powerful technique, um, but only for certain things. Right. Um, one of the things that I think people find most difficult is remembering people's names and when they're introduced. And so I think using visual techniques, which you never reveal to other people what the, that visual reminder is. For example, I often uh, tell people to remember me, I'm Barbara, Barbara Oakley. So uh, think of Barbara Streisand with her big nose. And I pretend I've had big nose and people always remember my name, even though my nose really isn't that big. <laughs> No so, <laughs> so how do you how do you prepare for tests? Well, um, studying well will get you very far. Uh, I always say that uh, when you're actually taking the test, you um, you don't want to approach it the way everybody tells you to do it, where you just do the easiest problems first, and then um, and then go to the hardest problems at the end of the test. If you prepared well by studying well, um, and by that I mean um, you really have the key ideas down and you've practiced with problems and so forth, um, if you've done that, then your best bet when taking the test is to um, just start, look over the whole test, and then start with the hardest problem first. But train yourself to pull off as soon as you recognize that you're stuck, which usually is after a, a minute or two on the hardest problem, and go work on your other problems, something easier. And then later when you return, remember when, when we were speaking earlier, we, we said it's important to take those little breaks because your mind is making sense of things during that time. Well, even when you're taking a test, that little break that you took from the hard problem, even if it's only five, 10 minutes, that's enough that when you come back to it, suddenly you can make more progress on that problem and often actually solve it. It's the kind of thing that probably most of us have had an experience with when you can't remember something, you can't remember it, can't remember it, and all of a sudden you start doing something else and it pops into your head. Yep. Yeah. That, and, and that's what's going on. It's your brain has two completely different networks. One when you're focusing on something, and the other is when you're not focusing on that thing. And as long as you're focusing, you're blocking this other network, which is often the network that will allow you to get to what you were looking for. So what's the connection between toothpaste tubes and memory? <laughs> well, I sometimes say that a toothpaste tube is... If you're trying to put a fact into your long-term memory, it's like putting toothpaste back into a toothpaste tube. It's really hard to do. But if you are trying to put a picture in your memory, it's like just taping a picture of the wall. It is so easy to do. So uh, if you take, again, if you take any kind of fact that you're trying to remember and somehow convert it to a picture, for example, let's say that you've got, um, you're trying to remember Wanda's name. Well, if you remember Wanda having a wand kind of going right over the top of her head, that can help uh, you to remember Wanda's name much more easily than if you're trying to just stuff that fact of Wanda, the name Wanda, into your long-term memory. What's the biggest 
issue that you deal with when you're teaching that having to do with with memory or with retaining information? That students often feel that if they simply understand something, that that's enough. Um, I I've, I remember I had a student come up to me once. He flunked this uh, test on probability and statistics that I'd just given. And he said, I can't understand how I could possibly have flunked this test. He waved the red line in front of me. He said, I understood it when you said it in class. Unfortunately, I think we've gotten so vested in this idea that understanding is the magic golden key and that if you just understand, you've got it, that we, we forget the idea that you actually don't really understand something until you've practiced with it and built those neural circuits that really are well connected, uh, that, that are the foundation of knowledge. Barbara Oakley's one of the co-authors of Learning How to Learn, How to Succeed in School Without Spending All Your Time Studying. Barbara, thank you very much. Oh, thanks so much. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six... My mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for a Parents at Play segment. We are big fans of classic toys and games here at Positive Parenting, but we're also big fans of new tweaks on those classics. This week, we review several clever updates to games you know well. Cat Crimes from Think Fun. Remember the classic clue game? You know, the one where you use logic and deductive reasoning to figure out who committed a grisly murder. In this game, you'll use the same basic skill set. Cards give important details, such as that Ginger was sitting in front of the birdcage and that Tom Cat was to Ginger's right. By determining where each cat was sitting at the time of the crime, you'll eventually be able to finger the feline that committed such dastardly offenses as coughing up a hairball or swallowing your goldfish. For one player, age 8 and up, under $13, thinkfun.com. Fancy from Masterpieces. This one's a little like Yahtzee in that you roll dice to try to match what's on one of the 20 challenge cards. It comes in three sports-themed versions, hockey, football, and baseball, each of which includes dice with logos of all the teams in their respective leagues. It's a fun, fast-paced game, takes only about eight minutes to play. For two to four players, ages six and up, costs a little under $21. Masterpieceinc.com Laser Chess from Think Fun. Okay, this isn't exactly traditional chess, but it uses some of the same spatial, logic, reasoning, and strategy skills, and the object is the same, to knock out your opponent's king. Instead of capturing pieces in the traditional way, you use lasers to do your dirty work. 
Players take turns moving mirrored pieces around the board. At the end of his or her turn, the player fires a real laser which bounces from mirror to mirror. If the beam hits a non-mirrored piece, boom, that piece is out. Hit your opponent's king, and you win. It's simple enough to be learned quickly, challenging enough to have won a Mensa award, and fun for everyone. It's for two players, ages 8 and up, costs under $40. Thinkfun.com for more information. Shadows in the Forest from ThinkFun Think flashlight tag, but without the risk of tripping over a tree root or running into an actual raccoon or coyote. The goal is to locate shadowlings, mysterious and presumably gentle creatures who hide in the forest and shun the light. One player is the seeker. The rest of the players are the shadowlings. While the seeker's eyes are closed, the shadowlings hide behind trees and various other obstacles on the game board. The lights are turned out, and the seeker opens his or her eyes, rolls a die, and moves a lantern through the forest. If the lantern illuminates a shadowling, it's frozen in place until it can be unfrozen by another shadowling. If all the shadowlings can gather together in one dark hiding place, they win. But if the seeker can illuminate the whole bunch at the same time, it's game over for them. Playing in the dark adds a fun, unique, immersive element to this cooperative, at least for the shadowlings, game. For two or more players, ages 8 and up, cost under $25, you can get more information at thinkfun.com. And you can get a lot more information and reviews of toys and games and great activities to do with your kids at our website, parentsatplay.com. We'll be back next week with another show for you. Until then, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.